15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. I am imagining that most of you know, but I will say it anyway, that Audible.com really is uh, the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Uh, It gives you the opportunity to listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want to do that. Uh, And uh, you can get a free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for uh, business and entrepreneurs, Uh, salespeople, small business owners, business leaders of all kinds are finding this podcast uh, to have a lot of the information and answers that they are looking for. And that is because of the incredible folks who uh, are guests. These are people with expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me to have a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Today is no different. My guest today is Jason Richmond. Jason is the CEO and Chief Culture Officer at Ideal Outcomes, Inc. He is widely recognized as a noted authority on helping companies build strong, sustained revenue growth by empowering their employees and developing energizing office cultures. During his career of more than 20 years, Jason has assisted companies of all sizes, including established Fortune 100 companies, to create leadership development journeys and has guided numerous startups to build solid foundations, enabling them to become industry leaders. Jason is also the author of Culture Spark. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jason. Thank you, Diane. I'm I'm excited to be here this morning and and having the opportunity to speak with you. Well, I am excited to have this conversation as well. And I would like to start with like a foundational question. 
and ask you if uh, how you would define the term all organizational culture. Well, I I, I think in the um, the simplest terms, um, in my my opinion, organizational culture is has a lot to do with every aspect of of how a company, um, regardless of the size or even a even a department within a company, actually accomplishes what they do. Um, organizational culture encompasses not only not not only business strategy, um, policies and procedures, um, hiring practices, but but also the way we share communication, the way we treat people, um, our, our our transparency of how we operate and and run on a daily basis, and and it really is a foundation of. It's a foundation of organizational teams. And I think that's the best way I could sum that up as being a foundation of organizational teams. Yeah, I like that. It feels like um, what you're saying is that organizational culture is like um, the starting point that everything is, is built upon. It, it, it is. Um, I, I, I think that's a, a great way of putting that. I mean, you, with a, with a solid foundation, um, you can build a strong building. And and if you and if you really look at your organization and realize that that your culture is your foundation, um, you you have something to build upon. And and I really do believe um, that organizations have to keep that foundation in mind. They have to continuously evaluate that foundation. They have to continuously um, diagnose that that culture and make sure, make sure that it's on the right track, make sure that it's, it's what they want their organization to be known for, not just from an outside perspective, but also from an inside perspective, from their employees' perspectives. Do you think that that, that gets missed a lot? That it feels to me like so many companies are thinking about themselves in terms of how other people see them that they're sort of forgetting about how they are seen internally. I, I, I see that all the time. Um, and, and a good, a good example. And, it, and it's not just, it's not just one occurrence, Diane, I've, you know, had opportunities to work with, you know, C-suites, um, CEOs and, and, and senior leaders. And one of the, one of the steps in my process is just to have, you know, some short one-on-one dialogue um, with a group of, of senior leaders. And one of the questions I always ask is, you know, give me a, give me a visual picture of, of your culture. And whether that team be a team of two or three or, or eight, most of the time, I will get different perspectives on that culture. And more than, more than not, it'll be quite different than what Frontline, frontline leaders, managers, supervisors, and individual contributors would describe their culture. So wow. we see a disconnect from, you know, that that senior level leadership down to the front lines quite often. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that doesn't really surprise me. Um, and and it seems to me, in addition to that, that so many companies focus. Uh, you know, they don't focus on culture, that, that they're focusing on other things 
and either not even thinking about culture or expecting the culture to happen, yep. right? As opposed to really being intentional about it. Yeah, yeah and, and the key one word you said there is intentional. So um, in, in preparation and, you know, in, write, in doing the research and writing, writing my book, Diane, I, I spent a couple years doing nothing but interviewing um, in-person executives from all different industries all over the country, um, hundreds of them. And people often ask me, what, you know, was there some common ground there? And, and it, that common ground that I found ties into what you just said, intentional. You know, organizations that have high-performing cultures, one common ground is that they're authentic. And they're authentic with their, with their actions, with their communications, their behaviors, um, how, they, how they communicate, how they work with the organization. And, and I think that, you know, that is one common ground that I found through every, every organizational culture. I mean, I've been, I've been doing this, as you said, for over 20 years, and I didn't want to write a book just to sit down and write down what I thought or my opinions. I really did base it on, you know, best practices across the country of, of executive leadership um, through all different industries. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> now, um, let's shift a little to myths. So um, you say there are like six common myths about business culture. I'm curious what they are and, and what the impact is that they have on business. Um, yeah, and there's there there are there are a lot of myths um, out there um, within organizational culture and people and within within leadership. You know, one of the one of the ones that um, I talk about um, quite often is that it's not HR's job. Um, human resources uh, is not necessarily. Uh, solely responsible for organizational culture. Yeah. It really does take, it really does take an organization to, to not only create, but sustain a culture. Um, HR will take a lead role, but, but, it, but there has to have executive leadership all the way down to in, individual contributors participation. Um, another, another myth I talk about and, and, and dealt a lot of time with is kind of aligning, um, aligning organizational recognition and perks and, and benefits and things to help drive culture. I mean, perks necessarily don't create great, great cultures. They're, they're part of it. They, the, an organization needs to have, you know, perks and recognition, but that's not alone what creates culture. Um, a couple other ones, Dan, that I really, really like to, to talk about and I work with organizations is one is not a passing fad. I mean, um, it's not a month of the, you know, it's not the flavor of the month. Um, it, it has long lasting impact on, on a company and it's never too late, right? If, if, if your company is kind of plateaued or, or you start noticing, um, you know, an increase in, in turnover or, or employee satisfaction or, or those types of things, you might be looking at a cultural issue and it might give you some indications, some lead indicators that, you know, we might need to pivot uh, with our organizational culture. And then another myth is, is that hiring doesn't matter. Um, 
your your culture strategy, your culture vision, what you want your culture should to be needs to align with the type of people you're hiring. And that goes down to your culture values, your core values. I mean, if you're hiring people in your small business that, you know, see things quite differently or value things differently, somewhere down the road, you're going to have a culture disconnect. And, and so your hiring practices and your interviewing practices have to have that element of culture um, involved. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, um, hmm. it's pretty critical to have that. Yeah, it's so interconnected. I think, you know, that's one of the things that um, the people don't really think about. And, and I, I have a question for you about HR because, um, you know, I get that it doesn't solely rest in HR. It feels to me like culture um, really has to be defined at the very top and then, uh, I don't want to say carried out, but but lived by everyone. Yes. So I guess my question is, what is the role that HR plays? Well, a, a lot of times um, HR, the role HR plays that, that we see a lot or we recommend is that they're, they're working very, very, very closely to um, I think probably the most critical point that that middle manager. Um, you, you you said it exactly right. That that senior team has to be has to be highly involved in the in the first step of culture, which is defining it. Right? What do we want our culture to be? What's our cultural pillars? What are our cultural um, values? Those types of things. You know, what's our rally cry? But then that that HR role is is to to help create. What I call culture committees, um, drive culture groups, um, you know, administer and be a part of maybe cultural assessments, engagement assessments. Um, but I think one of the most critical role is a very, very close connection with that middle management group. Um, we spend a lot of time focusing on and working with uh, cross-functional uh, mid-level managers um, because they really are the voice that can take messages up and also, you know, communicate messages down. Ah, and they yeah. have such a huge influence on the organizational culture and, and HR should work very, very closely with that group to make sure those messages are consistent and, and that they're, they're communicated in the right way. Yeah, boy, that, that is like linchpin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, okay, and is there one common denominator in a successful culture? Well, and I, I touched upon this, and I think, and I and I write about this quite a bit, but I think, in my opinion, the the one common denominator is authenticity. Okay. Now, you know, I work with a lot of groups and a lot of organizations about that, and everybody defines authenticity different. So, you know, part of the, part of the step in the define is, is how do you define that as an organization? What does authenticity mean to you, right? Authenticity to me means that, you know, you're authentic in, in everything that you communicate, everything that you say, everything that you do, it's behavioral. Is it authentic? Is it the, are you coming across um, 
you know, true? Are, are you coming across the way and are you perceived to be the person or the leader or the organization that you strive to be? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think authenticity is absolutely huge. And, and when you said it before, I was thinking, yes, yeah, see, this is interesting because you can't fake this stuff. No. People, yeah. you know, if you're not transparent, people, people see through it. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's your culture. That's right. Right. And then that's your, that's your culture. And, and, you know, if, if you're not being truly authentic and you're not being transparent, you can create a culture of distrust. You uh, create a, a culture of individual contributors just thinking messages are flavor of the month and, and those types of things. I mean, you know, you, that's why a, a real strong organizational, I call it a rally cry, um, something that culturally that everybody in the organization can get behind and believe in. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's why hiring is so important, because if they can't, then they're not a fit for helping the organization move forward. Correctly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. This makes sense to me. Okay. So what are some other ways um, that you think companies can improve their culture? Like maybe even especially given where we are now. Before we um, started this conversation, you and I were having a conversation, and you mentioned that you think you know the way we do business has probably changed uh, moving forward. And I would think that that is a challenge for leaders, mm -hmm. business leaders, in creating and maintaining a successful culture. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and. And I have several. Matter of fact, I was just talking to my team this morning about that. You know, right now, um, the world is full of remote workforces, and they can't they can't see you. They can't see actions, even in small businesses. And and the best way we can do that is over communicate. Um, I think we're we're to a point now where where people have kind of fallen into a little bit of a routine, but they are are just hungry for leadership to, to lay out a direction, lay out a path, uh, lay out a next step. Now, I, I know that next step is a short-term next step. I mean, it could be different next week. Mm -hmm. but, but right now, in culturally, leaders need to really be in touch on a remote basis with their people. Um, department leaders, um, supervisors, um, you know, senior leadership with their with, with with their managers and leaders, and I think the the power of messaging right now to the workforce from a leadership standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, is probably one of the most critical things to be focused on. Because it's really easy for people to become demotivated, worried, a little bit scared, and I'm almost seeing a trend where we're, okay, let's, you know, the, the reality is kind of set in now and everyone's realizing that this could be four or six and eight weeks, you know, the, the reality of our workforce and, and then our environment has changed, right? So what's the proactive thinking? What's two or three, two or three steps down the road that I could be sharing with my team? Does that, does that make sense? Oh, it does so much. And I, and I, 
and so grateful that you said over communicate because this is something that I preach all the time. I think there are many situations, and this one is especially one, where you cannot go wrong over communicating, but you sure can go wrong under communicating. Yeah, if, if, if you know, people, people's minds and, and um, their assumptions mm-hmm. will run wild right now. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not in constant communication um, and, and sharing any time of crisis moment within, within a culture, I mean, you know, looking for that crisis to, to talk about opportunity. And, and, you know, you say over communicating and because I talk about this a lot, I want work, I, I work with a lot of organizations about that. You know, there's a lot of organizations that think they're communicating messaging and, and a lot of it is one way. You know, yeah. authentic, effective communication is, is allowing your ego to accept input. Yeah. And, and, and be able to step back and allow others to communicate and share and be empowered to do so without fear. Or, yeah. or, or, or you know, and, and to be able, especially in, in crisis management, you know, there is an element of fear in the workforce. And you've got to, you've got to allow that fear to come to the surface and have people comfortable sharing. Yeah, I I so agree. It's funny. I I created a a little um, video series for um, building remote for building remote teamwork, you know, directed specifically at these leaders who now find themselves leading these teams. And one of them is called um, collaborative goal setting (laughs) because getting people involved in the process decreases their stress and makes them feel more uh, in control of what is going on around them and empowered and valued. And those are all, you know, it, it really is a strange time. And what you don't want is people who are used to being in a work environment suddenly really having that isolation. Yeah. You know, so you have to overcompensate for those things by having virtual meetings and check-ins and all of these sorts of activities. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you talked about that or, or brought that up. I was just, just last week I was working with a sales organization about that, about that same thing, about it's no different externally. It, you as, as, you know, sales, uh, sales professionals and things, you, you have relationships with with your with your customer base yeah. and your organizational customer base and it's times like this that that allows customers to identify do you really care about me as a customer right. or, or are you just trying to sell me something yeah um and and we talked about the opportunity to build customer relationships in times like these about you know going beyond the sale of something and and that's all a you know that's part of the sales culture who right how does my organization you know maintain relationships and communicate and and work with my existing customers right exactly so your your actions right now from a, from an organizational standpoint you, you know your customers are scrambling just like we are and and they're trying to figure things out and and you have a great opportunity 
to influence or, or demonstrate the value that your customers have you as an, not only as an organization, but to an individual. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And that's it, it, a cultural action. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I, I don't think I would have made that connection, but you're absolutely right. It's it's part of that who are we and what matters to us. Yeah, because you're you know, your 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 customers get a pretty good insight, a pretty good idea of what your true culture is by the engagement and the interactions of your employees with them. And um this you know, I talked earlier about staying focused on the positive, realizing that that you know crisis moments, crisis management does create opportunities. Well, from a from a sales standpoint, this is an opportunity for sales forces to differentiate themselves. Definitely. Yep. 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 I absolutely agree with that. Okay, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break, and okay. then I have some more questions for you. Great. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. And as you probably know, uh, but I will remind you, Audible.com is really uh, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Uh, the cool thing is that not only do they have thousands of titles of audiobooks that you can choose from, but they also have podcasts. Audible Originals, Guided Meditations, uh, News, uh, and more. It, it, it's like if you can listen to it, they probably have it. Uh, one of my favorite audiobooks is actually Culture Spark by our guest, Jason Richman. Um, I will tell you that one of the things that I really value about audible.com is that I can listen anywhere and across devices. So I can like listen in my car, and then when I get out of my car, I can pick it right up. Um, back in the office on my phone or on my computer. So it, it really, whatever I'm listening to goes with me uh, wherever I am. And I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think you'll think so too, if you have not already checked it out, uh, sign up for a free trial, go to audibletrial.com slash business growth and explore for yourself, you know, explore the audiobooks, explore the programs that they've got, see what is actually going on. Uh, today, we are speaking with Jason Richmond about uh, the myths of company, company culture. So Jason, I am curious if you think uh, the millennial generation is impacting corporate culture, and if so, how? Uh, absolutely. Um, our, and, and, and it's not just millennial. It, 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 it just goes from different, different, uh, different perspectives in the workforce, but specifically, I think the biggest impact on how is, is the, the desire to have a path, the desire to know where my career could be going. Um, and the, the workforce now in different generations, um, it, the desire is, is more, more flexibility, right? Uh, more adaptability, um, more, more ability to, you know, fit my lifestyle. I mean, I have, you know, I have, I have millennials on my team and, and one of the, 
one of the, the great benefits to them, and I hear this all the time, is that they do have those flexible work hours. They, they, they can take care of kids and kids' activities, but yet they might be getting work done at 11 o'clock in the evening. Right. So I, I think one of the impact is not only that, flex, that flexibility and empowerment, but communication. They, they do want to understand why. They, they do want transparent communication. They do want to see, you know, a, a path or a road for them to get from point A to B and what is it going to take to get there. So I, I think it's, you know, it, it, it just changes the way it changes the relationship and how we have to communicate and how we interact and how we engage with our workforce. I mean, uh, it won't be too many years and, and the millennials will be making up about 80% of our, our entire workforce, right? So, you know, that style, that leadership style, that communication style is, you know, is going to happen you know, over time, because those millennials will be in high-level leadership positions. Some of them aren't already. So I, I think the way we communicate, um, how we communicate, what we communicate, and and that, and, and being adaptive and, and flexible. You know, I work with a lot of organizations, and I can't tell you how many times I hear, you know, we don't do things that way, or we've never done it that way before. Yeah, That's the type of thinking that Millennials and younger generations in our workforce today, you know, do not strive. They, they want to be more innovative. They want to be more creative. And, and yes, we did it this way to be successful now. But if we keep doing it that same way, we're not going to be as successful in the future. Yeah, I, I really appreciate this because uh, I'm always... Uh, fascinated when people are quick to um, talk about what they perceive as the negatives about millennials. And, and all I can think is, okay, well, first of all, we raised them. So, you know, the people who are complaining are the people who gave birth to them and then and raised them and created them, uh, number one. And number two, I think they bring so much to the, to, to companies into the workforce because they really see purpose that they want to know that they're contributing and how they're contributing. And that's an incredible um, characteristic of an employee at any level in an organization. And I think we should be embracing that. Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, a lot of people would be amazed as, you know, working with the millennial generation in, in the workplace, how committed and dedicated they are to their not not only to their company but to their direct supervisor and direct managers if they feel a sense of empowerment and if they feel that their opinions and their voice has some value right and i've i've talked with and worked with and i mean it, you know i'm dealing with millennials all the time they understand that maybe their ideas aren't going to be implemented but, but the value they put in and letting their ideas be heard is, is hugely important. And we really do live in a different world. You know, I, I, the, the world that I grew up in, well, so the one that I grew up in went through a big shift in, I, I, you know, I guess maybe the late 80s, I'm trying to think of when it was, but 
my parents' generation, you just, you, you were loyal, the company was loyal to you, you worked, everyone had their silo. Mm -hmm. There wasn't this expectation of involvement of, of everyone. People, you know, they knew what they had to do. They came in, they clocked in, they did it, they clocked out, they went home, they had their life. There, there was this whole process. And then it went through a bit of a shift and there, there's been a lot more um, getting people involved and seeking input and, and, and whatnot. And so, and, and with this breakdown in, I'll say loyalty that, that happened when there were these crashes, we've entered into a different sort of work environment and as you said, which I think is just such an incredibly important point, what got us here isn't going to get us there, right. right? And so we have to adapt to the future that is already here now, but is really going to be here in a little while of what it means to run a business, run a department, be a leader. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with what you just said, absolutely. Yeah. What I mean, just crazy. Okay. So let's talk about culture change. So would you share with us um, some about your five-step system for culture change? Yeah. And, and, and Diane, I, you know, I, I tried in our book and in my book and the research and stuff, you know, I tried to really, really keep it simple. And, and the goal, the whole goal um, of my research and, and my work with organizations is that, you know, my group's not going to come into an organization and fix cultural problems. We're, we're going to try to work with key influencers throughout the organization from senior level down to individual contributors and, and put the tools and some processes and, and some structure in the hands of influencers for them to have cultural impact. And it starts with, you know, defining what you want your culture to be. And that's different than step two, which is diagnosing. So regardless of what your culture is, working with that senior team, with the support of human resources and such, you know, really creating a, a strategy or, or defining what the, the culture should be. What do you want it to be? What do you want to stand for? What are your what are your cultural values and those types of things? I mean, I was working with an organization here about six months ago and um, they went through a, a year long process, you know, creating corporate values and, and, and mission and vision. And they ended up having like 16 different values. Well, to, to an organization that, it can, you know, who's going to remember and live by 16 values? Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 you know, working really on that with, with really defining it and then going to step two, which is diagnose. And I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier that there's a pretty big disconnect with what people really perceive their culture to be. And there's all kinds of different diagnose tools, you know, cultural assessments, um, you know, you want to take information from your internal engagement assessments, maybe, you know, employee satisfaction, you know, those types of things. But you really have to have a clear picture of what your culture is today. Every organization has a culture, believe it or not. Um, whether they focused on it or not, they have one. So step two is really finding out what that, what that culture is. And, 
and we usually use a process of, of a culture culture committee type of thing of a, a mixed uh, mixed culture groups, culture influencers from all different departments and different levels within the organization and and work with work with small groups like that within an organization to get a really good picture of what what the culture really is. And then you take that information just like anything else and create a plan. This is what we're going to do. Um, these are the policies and procedures we're going to evaluate. Uh, these are the things we need to be adapted to, maybe adapt. I mean, does our, does our compensation packages, do they really drive the behaviors and actions that we want to have this culture? Um, is our you know, benefits packages in line? Is, it, is, is our internal policies and procedures on how we deal with customer complaints in line with the culture we want to create? So we, we really create, help them work through creating a, a strategy or a plan. And then the fourth step is, is how are you going to measure it? Right, so, so what metrics are we really going to use? I mean, what business metrics do we, do we feel are critical lead and lag indicators of the success of our culture? If we're working with a sales group, right, is, is client retention a good indicator for what we want our culture to be? And we help an organization identify those, those business metrics that align with you know, the culture they defined in step one. And then the last step is sustainability. I mean, why, why go through all this effort if, if you don't want it to continually to grow and sustain and be important? And working with organizations, you know, we work with a lot of manufacturing organizations and almost every manufacturing company we work with, um, every meeting they start, every meeting they have, they start with a safety briefing, mm. right? So yeah. that's a critical, critical, critical component of their organization. Well, that would be an example of bringing culture to the forefront. With every meeting you have, why not start out with, you know, let's just review our cultural pillar, right? And, it, and it, that's part of sustainability, keeping it alive and, and keeping it in the forefront. And that's where that middle management group has such a key role, you know, supported by HR. And, and we work with companies to, to customize and design different sustainability programs working with, you know, these culture groups and these influencers within the organization to keep the culture alive and keep it important. So that's, that's kind of a, you know, a, a synopsis of the, you know, the five steps that we work, we work through with an organization and we really can jump in anywhere. I mean, we've worked with companies that have a really, really well cleared, defined, culture what they want to be and we might just help them diagnose it or they have done a lot of internal assessments and surveys and we'll work and we'll help them take that information and create a culture plan so we can kind of jump in anywhere in the middle of that process um, with an organization regardless of where they are so i i really appreciate that and um a couple questions come out of that one is is it have you found that companies uh, struggle with being able to come to that definition of what they want their culture to be? Um, yeah, at times. Um, it, it, it is, at times it is. Um, sometimes it's, you know, they can come to consensus, but if, but if, it, if, if it stops being a priority, the understanding of what that consensus changes over time. So, 
so again, an organization that wants to really put culture on the forefront and, and make it a strategy or make it a, a priority, we'll, we'll keep it in front of them. If, if an organization wants to deal with culture and it's just, you know, lip service kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, you know, then, in other words, if, if they don't keep it as a priority, um, people's memory will change and, and you'll, go, you'll go back to the way it was fairly quickly. Okay, and you talk about these, um, you know, like creating culture committees and finding the influencers and, and putting people to, you know, bringing people together towards this. So this question revolves around uh, the leader, and you said something earlier about, you know, their ego has to be healthy enough that they can receive input, yep. that, that the communication is not just one way. So... Um, it, I guess, how difficult is it for a company if the leader does not have that strong of an ego, if they want to be in control of everything, can a culture change um, for the better? It, Let me ask it that way, for the better. It, it can, and, and it does. And, and a lot of times what, what we'll find is we'll get into departmental cultures then. But, but as long as they're aligned, you know, as long as those departmental cultures are, are aligned with the ultimate goals of the company, um, it, you know, the, the, the leader's vision, um, and it's accomplishing the outputs and the, the metrics and the things that, that are important to the organization. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think within, within culture, it depends on the size of the company too. I mean, if it's a large company, right, it's culture sometimes falls down to the department. So my sales culture might have a little bit different uh, nuances than what my operations culture or my, you know, my, my plant culture, my manufacturing culture, those types of things, right? So you can have subcultures within an organization just so they all align to the, the big vision you know, the, the, what needs to be accomplished. And, and a big, big part of that is cross-functional, cross-silo communications, understanding what the different departments within an organization really do and what, it, what it's like to live in their shoes. And when you have a leader like that, that just, you know, a lot of times then you work within the different silos of the organization and you really focus on, you know, living, living in their shoes, really understanding their processes and what they do. And it doesn't take everybody, but that's why I said this frontline, this, this, this middle management group is so critical to this. Because yeah. They have the, the biggest opportunity to really understand the cross-functional relationships amongst business silos. I see. I get it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really get um, the importance of that group. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It absolutely is. Wow. So what are, what are some of the costs that dysfunctional culture um, can have for an organization? Well, the, the, um, the obvious one and the one that's talked about a lot is, you know, cost of turnover. Um, you know, we talked about younger generations and, and, and hiring practices, um, 
more, I think more so than ever um, before our current state. I mean, two months ago, I'm talking about and beyond, you know, potential, potential employees and recruiting into the business. People are, candidates are, are interviewing companies as much as companies are interviewing candidates. Mm. And I'm pretty confident that, you know, eight or nine out of 10 candidates that an organization would interview would, would ask that company about their organizational culture. Is this going to fit? Right? Is this a culture that, culture that I want to be in on a daily basis? Um, so I, I think your, mm. I think your, your biggest cost, not only turnover, but retention of talent. People will leave organizations because of culture now more than ever. Yeah, and I think wow. that's, a big, that, that's a big, and then also, also I believe productivity, just, just basic productivity. If you've got a strong culture and you've got highly engaged employees that are empowered and committed and dedicated their output is so much higher. I mean, they're accomplishing better things. They're they're producing more output. They're producing more results. And I think those are probably the two big measurements that come to mind. Is is three, I guess. Um, uh, turnover, you know, attracting really great talent and keeping it. And then three is just individual productivity. Yeah, that makes a lot of uh, sense to me. And and. I, I would think you could miss out on bringing in really great talent if they sense when they come to interview and they're interviewing you as well that that authenticity isn't there and the culture that they are looking for is yeah. not really there. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Interesting. So uh, my understanding is that you've launched a new YouTube channel that has just is chock full of resources for corporate leaders. And I'm wondering if you would tell us about that, please. Well, it's just, um, again, it's, it's a YouTube channel that, you know, we're posting some interviews. Um, we're, we're posting some videos, some videos of, of some of the culture engagements uh, that I've done, you know, working with companies. Um, you can go to YouTube, uh, look under Ideal Outcomes Inc. or, or Culture Spark or even Jason Richmond's um, YouTube channel. Um, you can find all that information on, on our website, which is idealoutcomesinc.com. Um, you could also go to culturespark.io um, and, and, and find the links to those YouTube channels. Also, you'll find there um, a, a whole catalog, a whole library of different business resources, um, blogs, articles, research, um, other podcasts and other things we've been doing, you know, for the last year um, to go to and download and read and, and utilize or implement into your own teams and your own departments. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there, Diane. We, we continuously, you know, through YouTube and, and blogs and, and thought leadership, you know, distribute a lot of content to, again, you know, put some tools or ideas in the leaders and managers' hands that they could just easily implement on their own. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. And thanks for, um, and, and I'm imagining at culturespark.io, they can um, learn more about your book. Absolutely. And they can also go to Amazon um, and, and you've talked, you know, sponsor is Audible. 
Uh, the book is on audible.com. They can go to Amazon and look for Culture Spark, Jason Richmond. Um, that would be the place to go to, to get a copy of the book. And like I said, it's on Audible too. Fabulous. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with me, Jason. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I um, learned a lot, uh, which I always enjoy doing. And I had some things confirmed for me, which I also <laughs> enjoy doing. So uh, I, I appreciate you sharing uh, with the listeners. Uh, and listeners, thank you as well. You are who we are doing this for. And I'd like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. To get a free trial of audible.com and explore uh, not only the audiobooks, but the um, other programming that they have, go to audibletrial.com slash business growth. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.